TII Item 199, November 17th, 2011. Game, set, match. Welcome to Today in iPhone. Yeah, I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah. My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of whom I am. Today's episode is brought to you by Hover. Please visit tii.hover.com. That's tii.hover.com to get 10% off your domain name registrations. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Ben for sending in the artwork for today's episode. Ben wrote, Hi, Rob. This is my latest and I think my greatest work. I created it with my all-time favorite app, Photo Wizard. Hope you like it. Regards, Ben. Well, Ben... Thanks again for sending in this artwork. Folks, you can see Ben's artwork in the TI app in the extras section for episode 199, or if you subscribe via iTunes as the album artwork, and also as a standalone post in the VIP section, and I will try to get it up on Google Plus and Facebook as well. If you have some artwork and or music you have created on your iOS device and would like to share it with the audience, please email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com and make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote. Quote, we have an extreme focus on the innovation of Le Web and Le Phone, because these products will dominate the future market. Though Apple is winning a significant share in the Chinese market, it has not gained a clearly leading position yet. Our advantage is we know this market better. Unquote. Leo Chanzi Lenovo, 27th January, 2011. Hey, Leo, how's that working for you? Oh yeah, by August 2011, Apple's sales by volume level in China overtook Lenovo, something both companies confirmed. Ouch. For promo codes, on episode 198, we offered up chances to win the promo codes for the apps Bibalicious and Abacus Cadabra. I will give those out before the end of the week, so if you aren't end of the weekend. So if you want more info on those, listen to the beginning of episode 198 for additional details. For promo codes this week, we have promo codes for the app Freelance Classifieds. Let's play the review from the dev. Hi Rob, my name is Marius Conradi. I'm the developer of an app called Freelance Classifieds that I'd like to tell the listeners about. The app gives every freelancer their own personal daily digest of freelance jobs matching their area of focus letting you swipe through the listings found and easily and quickly identify a few jobs you want to pursue next and then mail them to yourself or others. It's universal with the interface designed per iPad, iPhone to best suit each device type and it means you buy it once and use it on all your devices. Search for Freelance Classifiers on the iOS App Store and you'll find it. Or visit freelanceclassifiers.info to read more about it and to find the link to it on the App Store. Thanks and take care. Thanks Marius for sending in those promo codes. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put Freelance Classifieds, that's Freelance Classifieds, in the subject line. I'll be giving those away early next week, probably Monday or Tuesday, as they have a, a limited time frame before they expire. As always, if you are an app developer, email me if you want your app featured in the promo giveaway segment. There is never a charge for you, the dev. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com and please also include a 60-second or less audio review of your app indicating you are the dev. 
if you don't have a promo code to give away or if your app is free and you still want to get a review of your app up on the show, you can just send in the 60-second or less review of your app. Again, making sure you mention you are the dev up front, and we'll work it in on a future episode of the show. Hi, Rob. Uh, this is Chris from Spencer, Iowa. I love your show. Um, I'm actually calling from uh, my iPad right now on the Skype feature, so I'm trying to use a little technology in the process of this phone call. I got a question for you. This is kind of a stupid one. I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have to have the new edition of the new operating system Lion to get anything to do with like iOS? Does the Lion have to do a lot? The Lion operating system have to do with with iCloud? Can you help me out with some of that? I'm kind of lost. Love your show. Uh, always pick up some new tips and tricks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the voicemail. You have two questions there. One, do you need Lion to run with iOS, which means do you need Lion to run with any of the iOS devices? And the answer to that is no. The other part of your question was, do you need Lion to run iCloud on your Mac and to do all the syncing stuff? It's not just yes, but heck yes. Here's what Apple says numerous places with regards to iCloud. Quote, requires iOS 5 on iPhone 3GS, iPhone 4, iPod Touch 3rd and 4th generation, iPad or iPad 2, or a Mac computer with OS X Lion, or a PC with Windows Vista or Windows 7, Outlook 2007, or 2010 recommended. Unquote. But yes, on a Mac, if you want to use iCloud, you must be running Lion. And Apple now recommends 10.7.2 of Lion. Chris, I hope that helped. Well, in the last episode, we mentioned there was a new beta for iOS 5.0.1, and right after the last episode, 5.0.1 launched, and it had the items we talked about, gestures for iPad 1, improved voice recognition for people down under, and for many of those with battery issues from iOS 5.0, a fix to those battery issues. I say many, and not all, as a group of people are still having issues with battery consumption with 5.0.1. And Apple, to the credit, has said there are still some issues with 5.0.1 and battery life. They know it, and it does appear to be software-based. So expect 5.0.2 beta soon to the devs. But as of right now, on the 17th in the evening, the beta for 5.0.2 is not yet available. It never hurts to help! And as with any new update, there are reports of some people having issues with apps that work fine in iOS 5.0, but not so much in 5.0.1. Even some reports from TII users that had to uninstall and reinstall the TI app to get it to work. I have a theory on this and why this over-the-air update might have caused issues for some apps, and that has to do with said apps being open during the update. Again, just a theory. But here's what I recommend for your update procedure for any over-the-air updates going forward. One, and this is for any update, wait at least a week to 10 days after an update is released before updating. Ideally, wait until you hear feedback on this show. If there are major or even minor issues, I'll go over them. Two, back up your iOS device with your computer. Three, after you back up your computer, confirm that backup is actually there. Four, force quit every open app on your iOS device. Five, after all apps have been force quitted, 
go to settings, general, reset, and reset network settings. Select that. You may need to re-log into your Wi-Fi hotspot afterwards. Six, after the iOS device is fully rebooted and you confirmed it is connected via Wi-Fi or 3G, but I highly recommend Wi-Fi, you will need to connect the device to a power supply. Seven, go to the settings, general, software update, you'll see the button download and install, tap that. After it downloads, tap install or just let it be and in a few seconds after the download is complete, it'll start the download process. I put up a post on the VIP section with details on why I recommended each of the steps above, so it goes into a little bit more detail on my thought process for each, which would take too long to completely go over here on the show. As always, jailbreakers and unlockers should avoid the latest versions of iOS anytime as it often takes weeks or even months before a good reliable untethered jailbreak is available and usually a bit longer for the unlock now per my recommendation yes i think now it is fine to update to ios 5.0.1 if you follow the steps i just went over overall feedback from those that have updated to 5.0.1 has been very very positive and personally doing it to three devices i have seen zero issues and letting three of my devices sit unused for 10 hours this weekend, all which started at 100%. I saw in standby mode the iPad one at 100% still after uh, 10 hours. Uh, the 3GS at, was at 99%. And my iPhone 4, which at the time was on 4.3.3, was at 95%. The third device I updated to 5.0.1 is my new iPhone 4S White, 64 gig on AT&T. I have not gone 10 hours yet with it on standby, or even six hours for that matter. But I did go Monday and actually even went on today, Thursday, without charging it up. And on Monday, it was just under 70% by the end of the day, which for me was late in the day. And that was with multiple calls and emails. Today, it's uh, even more use of the phone. It's at 63%. And uh, that's at 9 o'clock at night. So that's uh, 14 hours of uh, between having it in a dock and not. Which, by the way, my iPhone 4S with 5.0.1 was doing better than my iPhone 4 with 4.3.3 last week. Again, I'm not saying iOS 5.0.1 is perfect for everyone. No version of iOS has ever been perfect for everyone. But from the feedback I'm getting overall and my own observations, I can recommend iOS 5.0.1 if you are interested in updating and definitely if you are having battery issues. So I've been holding back this next article until I could personally contribute, and it is one from CNN titled The Five Biggest Gripes of the 4S. One. Slow service on Sprint. I've heard this from others, and even if it is at its theoretical best on Sprint or Verizon for that matter, one of the reasons I decided to stay with AT&T was the speed issue. From the limited testing I have done, I have consistently seen download speeds between 3 and 4 meg on the download and 1 to 2 meg on the upload over 3G. Okay, not the theoretical speed of 14.4 on the download, but still, 3 to 4 meg on the download is typically what Sprint 4G customers see on their downloads in the real world. Just saying. 
Okay, back to the CNN article of five gripes. The second gripe is battery life. And as mentioned on this show, that does not affect everyone. Actually, it affects just a small percent. But if you are in that small percentage, it sucks to be you. For me, at least, the 4S is not in that small percentage and is working great battery life-wise. Knock on wood. Plus, Apple is addressing this issue for those of you that are having the problem. The third gripe, Siri outside the U.S. Yeah, that is an issue, but it's called beta for a reason. In the U.S., it is working very well based on feedback and my observations and testing. And it is the feature my son loves. But one question Siri does not know that I'm asking and had me kind of disappointed in the Apple engineers that it didn't know what I was asking is when you say Kirk or Picard. Not only does it not know what I'm saying, it mispronounces Picard and says Pickard. Really, Siri, you know how much wood a woodchuck chucks and you know the meaning of life but you don't or can't comment on Kirk or Picard? So disappointed. Four, camera problems. Not sure where they are getting these reports from. I have not heard of any issues. Uh, They specifically commented about shutter speed issues. Well, let me take some pics as fast as I can with my 4S. That, by the way, was not edited. That was 10 photos in under six seconds. About the best I could do 10 photos on my 3GS running iOS 5.0.1 was about 13 seconds. So better than half the time to take pictures with the iPhone 4S versus the 3GS. Again, of complaints I've heard and had people sent in, the camera and it being slow to take pictures on the 4S is definitely not one of them. And the fifth item they had was screen appearance. This is one where the screen has a yellowish tint. Well, this one, sadly, I have to report my 4S is a victim of. Again, this is only affecting a small number of people, and I'm one of them. When you put my 4S next to my 4 and set the brightness at the same levels, it is very clear my 4S has a yellow tint to it. Now, some reports say that goes away. We shall see. Going to wait about two weeks, and if it's not better, I'll bring it back to the Apple Store and get them to look at it. Now, since at the beginning of this segment, I mentioned uh, that I got my new iPhone 4S and I stayed on AT&T, I should probably state all the reasons I stayed. One, better theoretical download speed, and from my tests and others I've read, better actual download speed versus Sprint and Verizon. Two, I actually do use data and voice at the same time, something you cannot do currently with the CDMA iPhones. Three, I had unlimited data on AT&T, and the monthly plans for AT&T were about the same as what I was going to pay for Sprint when it was all said and done. Sure, I don't get unlimited text, but I use iMessage more for text now anyway. Four, I guess I'm lazy. Just easier and less steps to stay where I was. But I guess some, if not all, of the reasons above are the same reasons AT&T just reported, they are seeing almost no churn of iPhone users to Verizon and Sprint. So any predictions I made in the past about iPhone users leaving AT&T like rats off a sinking ship? Yeah, those comments, I was wrong. Heck, I was even wrong about my prediction about what I was going to do. Oh, and there was a fifth reason that sealed the deal. I reached out to Sprint PR... 
Yeah, it was that good of an experience. Just saying. Remember on the last show, episode 198, I mentioned there was a tweak you could do without jailbreaking that allowed you to use the hidden panorama camera? Well, some of you actually did that. Reaching into the email bag, I rub. The panorama tweak was easy and worked great for me. Regards, Alfred. And I had a couple of other people send in photos shot in panorama mode, including one shot at the Apple Store at the Louvre in France, which is a really cool photo. Now, I'm not saying that the photo of a certain person's backyard was not cool, but really, pick up after your dog before sending a panorama photo of your yard. At least, I assume it is a dog. It might have been a horse. Well, anyway, if you are interested in getting the instructions for that tweak, check the show notes from episode 198. This week, however, there is a new tweak, or a hidden Easter egg, or whatever you want to call it, that was discovered, and this one had to do with the keyboard, and it is an Android-like autocorrect keyboard bar. iBackupBot is the tweak that we used in the last episode, or mentioned in the last episode, for your P-List, and that one is used again for this one. Instructions for this in the link titled iOS 5 hides an Android-like autocorrect keyboard bar from 9to5Mac in the show notes for episode 199 over at todayinios.com. On Monday, iTunes match went live, finally. Well, at least, that is how some people felt. Personally, I'm not that big a fan, simply because I now have a 64-gig iPhone with all my music I care about sitting nice and comfy on it. I never pirated music, so no need for the $25 offering. All my music is actually legit. Okay, that said, I am sure some, maybe many of you, will let me know why I'm wrong about not being excited about iTunes Match. According to Lieutenant Dooley, it is taking about 45 minutes to match up 2,000 tracks. What type of speeds are you seeing? I am hearing back from some already that the streaming part is working really well which really is not streaming, but progressive downloads. But hey, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. And anyway, I think most people don't give a, well, don't care if it's streaming or progressive downloading. Just that when they want to listen to a song that is not currently stored on their iOS device, they can quickly play it. And the feedback I am getting, that is actually happening. Like I said, it is working pretty well or very well, depending on who you talk to. Obviously, if you have unlimited data, you'll think it works even better. Per some email feedback on iTunes Match, hi Rob, I matched 63 gig of music, which I can now stream to my iPhone. Thank God I have unlimited data. Regards, David L. But on the other side, I had this email. Dear Rob, for me, an enthusiastic early adopter, iTunes Match was a waste of time and nearly $25. First, it takes forever ever to load in and erased all the music I had already downloaded to my iPhone and iPad. That was around uh, 1,500 songs for me. To get the iPhone back to the same basic configuration for use outside of Wi-Fi or 3G areas, I needed to request new and separate downloads of each of these tracks. That took hours and hours, which was a cumbersome process and used up a lot of battery life the iPhone 4S, and a Mofi juice pack in around eight hours. Second, when I restored my iPhone because the other category had now grown and was taking up four gigaspace, 
I lost every single song I had downloaded using iTunes Match. Third, iTunes Match found tracks that were, quote, ineligible, unquote, that I could play on iTunes previously downloaded to the iPhone and were now impossible to use. Fourth, there were countless problems with duplicates, unknown artists, gapless playing, disappearing artwork, and other problems I'll leave others to speak about. Fifth, when I turned off iTunes Match and iTunes, I realized I'd have to go through the same long upload process again. In other words, a user cannot toggle iTunes Match on and off. There may be many horror stories you will have to wade through, so I'll stop there and look forward to your show next week. As always, regards, Jeff in Burbank. Jeff, thanks for the feedback. And prior to your email and a few others like yours, I was kind of apathetic on it, but now I'm definitely not going to be signing up for iTunes Match anytime in the near future. Of course, I'd love to hear from you guys on the other side and tell me about the good and the bad of iTunes Match and any horror stories or wonderful stories that you have about the service. Again, for me personally, it doesn't make any sense. I don't have that much music. I've got 64 gig iPhone. I got 10 gig of music on there. I'm more than happy with that. Besides, most of my listening is podcasts, and when I do listen to music, most of the time it's Dave's Lounge. Now, one important thing with regards to iTunes Match, you do need to update to iTunes 10.5.1 before you can set it up, if you are so inclined to do so. Reaching into the email bag. Hi, Rob. Two things. First, my iPhone 4, running iOS 5, not 4S, by the way, was getting hot due to the battery getting hit hard. I turned off all the suspected suggestions without results. I did notice the iPhone seemed to get warm when I was not connected to Wi-Fi. I turned off wireless syncing on the iPhone, and it seems to have corrected things. Has anyone else reported this? Second, Hover seems to have a richer feature set than my current domain name provider. As part of their next advertisement, could you include a pitch on how to transfer domain names to Hover? I'm thinking... I would pay a fee to transfer and get some of the nice features that Hover offers. Regards, Pat and Austin. Hi, Pat. Per your first item about your iPhone 4 getting hot when not connected to Wi-Fi, that is kind of a normal for the 3G to warm up the device. It takes more power for data-hungry applications over 3G than via Wi-Fi, which is why you want to do Wi-Fi connections wherever and whenever possible. Not just if you have a data cap, but for battery life as well, even for those of you on unlimited plans. Per your second item on Hover, I forwarded them your question, and they said there's a page on their site, hover.com forward slash help forward slash domain dash transfers. That's hover.com forward slash help forward slash domain dash transfers, which I will put a link to in the show notes for episode 199 over at todayinios.com. That link, uh, that page, I should say, has basic tips and a listing of domain transfer tutorials with individual tutorials for transferring from most of the other main domain name registers out there. Actually, the tutorial covers 17 different registers, so good chance your current one is covered. I will not go over the how, but there are four key steps you need to look at before doing a transfer, and they are on that page plus the instructions again on each registrar on how to get your domain names from there over to Hover. Hover also said, quote, a common question we receive is what happens to my existing years of domain registration? 
Well, an extra year of domain registrations is added to the existing term. Once the transfer is completed, you won't lose time that you paid for with your old provider, unquote. Now, I should say at this time, once again, thanks to Hover for sponsoring the show. And right now, they have a special of just $10 for .me domains. And if you go to tii.hover.com, you can get 10% off that. So really just $9 for a .me domain. I have talked before about getting a domain for your name, and I did that for my kids. But for Walsh.com, my last name, that was registered a long time ago by a company before I had even thought about it. Something I've kicked myself on multiple times. Well, yesterday, Hover told me about .me offer, and I figured mm, I would check to see if Walch.me was available. And surprise, surprise, Walch.me, that's W-A-L-C-H dot me, was available. I say was because I quickly registered it, and I mean quick. I love Hover. At 10.36 p.m. Central Time, I started the search, and by 10.39 p.m. Central Time, I had registered domain, paid for it, went back, set up the redirect to the TII website, tested it, and confirmed it was working. Yes, that quick. And no annoying upsells to dodge during that process. Just picked the name I needed, went to the checkout, and took care of my business. Love it. So, if your name was taken or not for the .com, now is a great time to lock in your .me domain. If not for you, do it for your kids or your future kids or your grandkids. Heck, register the domain name now and give it to them for Christmas. Hey, maybe even register a domain for your significant other, uh, again, as a Christmas gift or Hanukkah gift. And once again, the 10% discount for TII listeners works for .me domain. So just $9 when it's all said and done. Again, to save 10% on your registration, go to TII.hover.com. That's TII.hover.com. Isn't it time you liked registering domain names again? Thanks, Hover, for supporting the show. Speaking of registering a domain name for a significant other as a gift, I really, really wish that was what I had done for my wife for our anniversary last week. It would have been so much better than the book I gave her. How so, you ask? Well, she is a big Joyce Myers fan, has all her books, so when shopping, I saw a new tag next to a Joyce Meyer book. And well, that is all I saw. So I purchased the book and thought I was a hero. Turns out I should have, you know, looked a little closer at maybe what the book was about. The book I got for my wife for our anniversary, it was titled Living Beyond Your Feelings with the subtitle Controlling Emotions So They Don't Control You. Um, yeah. I did. As you might expect, that did not go over like I had hoped, but clearly in hindsight, it went over exactly as you all would have expected it to. As one of her responses was, quote, well, you finally beat Phil, unquote. This referring to my old roommate that when we were dating, well, me and my wife, that is not me and Phil, not that there's anything wrong with that, but Phil bought his girlfriend at the time pots and pans for Valentine's Day. I am now, as they say, lower on the totem pole than that. So yeah, a domain name, while not romantic, would have been much better choice than what I got her. Sorry, hon. 
Really, I'm sorry. Maybe I need to get Ice.com as a sponsor of the show. I finally was at a place where I could get my iPhone 4S, no more vacations, no more trips out of town, but it took me a week of looking before I finally found one locally, the one I wanted, that is, the white 64 gig AT&T, which I guess was hard one to find. I would have thought the 64 gig would be easy to get, but not so. Anyway, as hard as a time I had calling to Apple stores and Best Buys and visiting AT&T stores, FYI, thanks to Crystal Watts at AT&T Customer Service for the help. If you work there and are actually her boss, she did me right on an issue with gift cards. So thanks, Crystal. But as I was saying, as hard of a time as I had, it was nothing compared to the craziness in Hong Kong. I don't think there was any broken glass this time, but still, it was pretty crazy. Which, it seems, the lines were dominated by scalpers buying and reselling the 4S on the gray market. Needless to say, they sold out pretty quick in Hong Kong, and many of the other markets for that matter that the iPhone 4S just launched in. Apple is still showing one to two week delivery for the 4S in the US for any version. The iPhone 4, by comparison, and not surprisingly, is listed as in stock. So, still some very strong demand for the 4S out there, but if you are flexible on color and storage, you should be able to find one right away at either your local Apple store or Best Buy. I should say, Best Buy did have the 64 gig black 4S for AT&T, and according to them, plenty, quote-unquote, of the Sprint iPhones. They kind of made it sound like Sprint phone iPhones were not selling very well. Mind you, this was at the Best Buy that was about 200 yards from the Sprint headquarters. Now, I was told by a Sprint employee they are verboten from getting an iPhone 4S at this time, and if they did get one and put it on their Sprint employee plan, there would be hell to pay. So maybe once that is lifted, all the Sprint employees that drive by that Best Buy every day will be able to go in and clean house for their family and friends. And into the email bag we go. Hey, Rob. I don't know if you had mentioned this yet, but I found an emoji keyboard in the settings under keyboard, international keyboard, then scroll down to emoji. That's it. Thanks, Rob. Really enjoy the show. Regards, Craig. Craig, thanks for the heads up on that. I don't think that was mentioned before. Back into the email bag. Hi, Rob. My name is Ben, and I'm from Montreal, Canada. In your last episode, a lady called Johanna and was looking for you to have some advice on where she could find an application that would help her with her expenses, tracking and budgeting. Well, there is an application called Home Budget with Sync, quote, Home Budget with Sync, unquote. I personally use this application for about a year and it's very complete. It will also support her currencies. She'll be able to track her expenses and income as well as setting up a budget and manage her bills. She can track multiple banking accounts and any other accounts. It is very easy to send yourself a monthly report in both format CSV or HTML. The application is fully customizable and very easy to use. The application developers are doing a good job on keeping their application up to date. I truly hope my recommendation for the app Home Budget with Sync will make it easier in her search of a budget application. Regards, Ben. We also had this response to the same question. Hi, Rap. The app I recommend is called Mint. Thanks, Zach from Las Vegas. Zach, thanks for keeping it pithy. Hey, Rob, this is Randy. Um, I'm listening to your podcast right now, and someone called in about a, um, a budgeting app, plus a desktop version that they could use that kind of works hand-in-hand 
and it's called YNAB. That's the app. That's Y-N-A-B. And I think it's $4.99. And then the desktop version is called um, YNAB 3. And um, they even have, I think, a seven-day trial. And just I've used a lot of budgeting apps, and this is by far one of the best that I've used, and I love it. Um, if she checks that out, I think she'll like it, too. All right, Rob, thanks. Keep up the work. Hey, Rob, this is Randy. I'm just calling back um, about that WideNav3 um, desktop application. I didn't I didn't give the price on that one, but with that free that free um, seven-day trial, and if you decide to buy, it's um, six bucks. And um, also, I mean, they have free classes on how to use the desktop version. I mean, it's outstanding. And it's, all, it's offered on Windows plus Mac. All right, Rob. Thanks a lot. Hey, Rob. This is Randy calling back again about the WideNav app. I um, forgot to include this because this might be helpful. Someone might get mad at me for not even putting this in there. But um, that WideNav app, if you purchase it, it only works. If you have the desktop app, so I mean it. It, it um, does say that in the description, but you know some people don't read those sometimes. But um, you do need the desktop app to work or work along with um, the app that goes on your iPhone. Thought I'd let you know that. Thanks a lot. Ben, Zach, and Randy, thank you guys for your feedback. There's an article in Network World titled iPhone apps, a DIY skill that is in big demand, which you can find the link to at todayinios.com for episode 199. Do you want to guess what the article talks about? Well, if you guessed it talked about iOS app devs being in big demand, you might be ready for Jeopardy, or not. The first sentence of the article goes, quote, iPhone developers are in demand across the United States and Canada, causing salaries to skyrocket for those with experience creating complex mobile applications on Apple's iOS platform, unquote. So if you are listening to this show and think, I really should uh, learn how to develop apps for the iPhone, well, no time like the present. As the article continues, that there is good news for those without the, those skills, as getting those skills is easy, or at least locating the info to get those skills anyway. Actually, it is free and easy. And talk about coincidences. This past week, the Stanford University iPhone and iPad apps course just went up on iTunes U, and it is, again, free. So save your money. Don't be spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on iTunes dev boot camps or seminars or anything like that. First, start with this free video series. I have a link in the show notes to the iTunes U page for the SD version of the videos. Remember, after you subscribe, go into iTunes U library in the upper left of your iTunes and click or find the video series you just subscribed to and then click Get All. You want to download not just all the videos, but also all the PDFs. There are six 60 to 80 minute videos with accompanying PDFs for each one available. Download them now if you are remotely interested. And remember, once you develop your first app, let me know and get me some promo codes. Look for the link titled Stanford iPad and iPhone Course iTunes U in the show notes for episode 199 over at todayinios.com. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. 
In episode 197, you were asking about adding a Bluetooth shortcut button to your homepage on a now non-jailbroken iPhone. There is a way to add Bluetooth and other shortcuts, and it can be done and found at a South African iPhone site, iphoneza.co.za. Hope this helps you and your listeners. Thanks again for the great podcast, Eddie M. Hi, Eddie. And everyone else that sent this and the other links in. And what this is, is in iOS 5, for any device running iOS 5, you can create an icon on your iOS device's homepage that jumps to the settings, the iOS settings, like Bluetooth or brightness or to turn on airplane mode. Actually, there's a list of 35 different shortcuts to different functions out there. How this basically works is you put in the Java code for the function as the web URL for an icon. And then when you launch that icon, it opens that function. Additionally, for those with uh, the 4S, you can create a contact for a function and then use Siri to access the shortcut. So you create the contact uh, here. For example, for airplane mode, you would create a contact with, quote, airplane mode, unquote, for the first name. Then for the website URL, you would enter, quote, refs colon root equals airplane underscore mode, unquote, with airplane and mode all in caps, case does matter. That is all you would enter for the contact, first name and website info, then tap done. Previously, if you asked Siri to turn on airplane mode, she would have replied, I'm sorry, I'm afraid I can't do that. Now simply ask Siri to show airplane mode contact. Siri will now say, okay, here is the contact, and then just tap on the prefs colon root equals airplane URL that'll show up there for the web URL. And in this case, it takes you to the settings screen and turns airplane mode on. I put up uh, two VIP articles, one on how to do this for Siri, and a second on how to create home screen icons uh, with having to use, uh, without having to use the uh, paid app icon project. There is actually a free way to do this without any app, and I put that tutorial up. But the really important part is the list of commands and the correct case for each. So yes. There is a way to get shortcuts on your home screen in iOS 5 and also to access them via Siri. Actually, one more thing to add on this. There is another app out there that makes icons for free. That app is called MyClips, all one word, MyClips. If you use the service um, tinyurl.com and put in the Java code for the task um, as the web URL and then create a tiny URL, for that and then use that tiny URL with the icon created in MyClips, you can create icons for free. Mind you, they are not near as pretty as the ones you can create from Icon Project, but did I mention that it is free? I had a few people email in about the TII app after updating to iOS 5.0.1 and having an issue where the app would just crash. What seems to fix this is deleting the app from your iOS device and reinstalling it. Again, I think this might be an issue where the app was open during the over-the-air update and it somehow corrupted the TI app. 
We only have had a few reports, but it is still a few. And if you are seeing this, best step is to delete out the TII app, re-download with the same iTunes account. You originally purchased it, and which will make sure you're not charged again. Um, so do that, and hopefully that'll take care of your issue if you're having the TI app crash on you. Hey, Rob, this is Jim in Orlando. Just had a quick question for you about your app. Um, I've noticed both the current version as well as the previous version, when I click on email the show, it locks up the app. So I'm not sure if, um, I thought maybe the most recent um, update would correct that, but it seems like every time I click on it, it just uh, sticks there and I have to manually close out of it. So if you would, uh, let me know either on the show or shoot me an email. Thanks, Rob. Love the show. And I've also had a couple of other people reporting that each time they try to send an email from the TI app, it will crash. This is a separate issue than it just crashing randomly. So on uh, this one, there are a few people I've talked with. This was happening both at 5.0 and 5.01. This is not normal. And again, it is just a couple people reporting this. But if you are one of those that are seeing this and you have not reported it, please email me. Obviously not from the app, but please email me and let me know what it is that's happening to you and what email uh, address and client you're using and have set up as your primary email on your iOS device. We try to figure out which accounts uh, we have issues with. FYI, if you have not upgraded to the latest version of the TI app, please do so. It is free to those that already have the TI app. Um, for you, some of you that have an old version of the TI app and you haven't upgraded, you definitely want to do so because you get push, which was done in two versions ago. And this latest version, we added in support for blog posts. And back to the emails. Hi, Rob. When you are creating an email, I just realized that when you highlight a section and get the cut, copy, and paste pop-up, you can go right and get more options such as bold italics and underline or the option to change the quote level and also to speak text. Speak text is extremely helpful. On iOS 4, I had a jailbreak app to help add in this option. Regards, Levi in Riverside, California. Hi, Levi. Thanks for the tip. Per the speak text option, that will only show up if you have speak selection turned on to turn this on, go to the Settings app, then General, then Accessibility, then turn Speak Selection to On. By default, on my new iPhone 4S, it was turned off. One tip, well, not really a tip, more of an observation. In iTunes now, if you have the latest version of iTunes or the one before that, and you have over 50 apps to update, you can click on Download All Free Updates, and it will work. This used to not work uh, when you had 50 or more apps to update. It did it last night for me with 79 apps, and it worked fine. Of course, it took a bit to download all of the apps and sync everywhere. I do have the App Store settings on the iPhone 4S for automatic download selected to on, which is supposed to automatically download new purchases made on other devices. Evidently, new purchases and updates to apps you already have are considered by Apple two different things. I waited about eight hours, and none of the apps I updated auto-downloaded. When I did force a sync on the 4S this morning, then the apps I updated from my computer synced over to my 4S. 
mentioned previously was that Sprint iPhone 4S would initially ship as unlocked, but later on they would be locking them. Well, later on is actually now, or actually the recent past and now. From Sprint's press release on this, quote, Sprint's policy is to have the iPhone 4S SIM locked to our network domestically and internationally. Beginning on November 11th, the international SIM will be locked for devices provisioned on the Sprint network. Customers in good standing for at least 90 days can request to have their SIM unlocked for international uh, use by calling customer care at 888-211-4727, unquote. Okay, again, old news before it was new news, but news it is now nonetheless. On the last episode, I asked for some feedback on the app AirPrint Activator and what people thought. Well, here is some of that feedback. Hi, Rob. I have and currently use the AirPrint Activator. I have it on my MacBook Pro, and it allows me to print from my iPhone to my wireless printer. Pros allows my phone to discover my wireless printer, works seamlessly. Cons, the application must be running in order for the iDevice to recognize the printer. I'd like it if it was an app that ran in the status bar or with a toggle or something, but I can't complain because it is free and works well for what it is. Hope this helps. Matt in DFW. Thanks, Matt. We also had the following. Hi, Rob. I have successfully set AirPrint Activator up on my Mac Pro. Setup was picky but worked reliably once it was working. I had to remove my printers and then add them again to get it to print properly. Rebooting may have been important as well. Having used the old AirPrint Hacktivator, which no longer works, can cause issues if it was not properly removed before installing AirPrint Activator 2. Regards, Tom A. Thanks, Tom. And we also have this voicemail message. Hello, Rob. John here from Southern California. I just wanted to get you an update on the AirPrint Activator that you asked about in your last episode. I do use the AirPrint Activator, have been using it for quite some time, and I have version 2.1b2 installed on my Lion OS iMac, and it is very easy to install. You can go and find it at netputing.com, N-E-T-P-U-T-I-N-G.com, and uh, just download the DMG and install it. It will automatically go out and discover your printers that are connected to your system and turn those into AirPrint hotspots where I can print from any one of my iOS devices uh, right on my wireless printer, my Canon MP620. Uh, it's very easy to set up. I didn't have any problems. It does it itself and uh, it is a great utility. Hope that helps, and um, thanks again for your podcast. It's great. I'm an avid listener. Have a good day. Yes, Rob. Hi, it's Mike from the San Bernardino Mountains. Uh, I'm calling in reference to one of your callers who was looking for an application that would uh, allow printing from their iPhone uh, from any shared printer on the Macintosh. And I found just the thing, an application I use quite a bit for the, just this sort of thing is called Printopia by Ecamm. That's E-C-A-M-M. Uh, again, that's Printopia, and I think they're up to version 2.1.2 or 2.0.2 or something like that. It, it's, a, it's a really great program. Uh, I would check it out. Uh, hope this helps. John and Mike, thanks for the voicemail messages. And we have one more email. Hi, Rob. 
I'm not a big fan of Print Activator. Rather, I use Printopia, and it works great. I have multiple printers showing via AirPrint, and I can even send prints to Dropbox, Mac, or Evernote. Regards, Jeff K. in Dallas. So to the original caller that had asked about AirPrint Activator, uh, there are some feedback, plus also a little feedback on an app, Printopia. From email, hi Rob, do you see this? Annie Leibowitz tells people who want to know which camera they should buy to get an iPhone. Regards, Jerry. And Jerry sent me a link to a video showing an interview with Annie Leibowitz did with Brian Williams over at NBC. And Jerry, no, I had not seen that. And thanks for the link, which I will put in the show notes for episode 199 over at todayinios.com. And Annie Leibowitz is a famous photographer who basically said when people ask her what camera to use, she tells them to use an iPhone. Hi, Rob. Just want to vent my frustration. I'm getting really annoyed with the constant comparison between the iPad and Amazon's Kindle Fire. Just because both are advertised as tablets doesn't make this an apples-to-apples comparison due to the Kindle's hardware constraints. I think that is more like the iPod Touch than the iPad. Just saying. Adam. Hi, Adam. Get used to being frustrated, as you will only see more and more and more comparisons. Reality is, they are both tablets. But unlike Consumer Reports, that says the Fire is, quote, for $200, you're getting a full-featured tablet that performs well, unquote. Make no mistake, the Fire is far from a full-featured tablet unless your definition of full-featured means without many features other full-featured tablets have, like a speaker or a microphone or volume control buttons or Bluetooth. That said, features are not what they used to be. As we have said on the show before, it is not about the features. Uh, see also the recent post, a really nice post by M.G. Sigler at TechCrunch titled The Death of the Spec. With Smartphones, it is about the whole ecosystem, hence the reason the iPhone 3GS was last quarter the number two best-selling smartphone in the United States behind the iPhone 4, which they were 15 and 27 months old, respectively. The ecosystem has proven to be even more important for tablets. Up until the fire, no other tablet even had a stomping ground, more or less an ecosystem to speak of. That is why I think the Fire will do well. Yes, it is a feature-restricted, reduced, impaired tablet. Not a full-feature tablet. Sorry, Consumer Reports. But fail again, go ye. But even with the reduced features, the Kindle Fire still has enough to cover the basic needs of many potential tablet customers. And that is checking email, web surfing, and media consumption. Those are what most people care about. And for those items at $200 price point, when you add in the Amazon ecosystem, there is no comp for Amazon. Mind you, the Fire is in no way a replacement for a laptop. That is where the iPad will continue to get consumers. Those that were netbook users and laptop users looking for a more portable device, one you can create content on, the iPad shines in those areas especially when adding a Bluetooth keyboard when having to do more than just basic text entry. When the Fire was announced, I felt it would be the first tablet not called iPad to get any traction. I still feel that way. 
The real question for those that follow Apple is, will Kindle Fire sales come at the expense of iPad sales or just from those that would never have dropped $4.99 anyway on the iPad? And I think to say it will not affect iPad sales is naive. It has to, especially in this economy. Now, instead of buying one iPad for your kids, some families are going to go out and buy two Kindles for their kids and pocket the extra 100 bucks. Others not needing a full-featured tablet that were thinking of the iPad will see the $300 price difference and get the fire. We really will not know the impact uh, of the fire on the iPad until January of next year when Apple announces this quarter's iPad sales. If the number is north of $20 million, all will be forgotten about the fire. If it is less than $15 million, Apple stock will fall faster than Netflix after Reed Hastings' drunk tweets. Anything in between will be seen as a disappointment and how big depends on where in that range the sales fall. Hey, Rob, this is Josh calling from Denver. Hey, I um, just downloaded 5.01 for my iPhone 4S. And honestly, I never had any battery issues. I do realize that this probably means I may not be able to jailbreak. But my concern, my bug that I'm having, a lot of other people are having this problem too, is echoing through the the headphones. I've tried um, different sets of headphones. I have the Apple earbuds. I've tried those, the Beats, the Monster Beats. Um, and then also my C&W or B&W, um, C5 headphones as well. And I have the echo problem and an easy fix for that. If anybody else is having this problem is to just hit the speaker, um, like you're on a speaker call and then tap it again and the call returns to normal through the headset. But I was really hoping that this update fixed it. Apparently it didn't. If anybody else is having this problem, please go over to the Apple forums and post and, um, also send an email to Apple to let them know. Um, so we could get this fixed. Thanks. Love the show as always. Bye. Hey, Rob. Dave Levine, New Jersey. Just called to let you know, I think I licked the battery problem on the new iOS 5.01. I had upgraded, but the battery was still draining, probably 10% an hour. Uh, I wound up resetting the phone all the way back to factory settings, wiping it clean, and then starting it as a new phone. I originally started it as a restart from backup. Still had the same issues. Restarted it as a new phone loaded everything back on, and it seems to be doing much, much better. Keep an eye on it and let you guys know. Uh, by the way, I have an iPhone 4, and uh, we're at uh, 5.0.1. Bye. Hi, Rob. This is Steve from Arizona. Just wanted to let you know about battery issues uh, in the iPhone 4 and iOS 5.0.1. I upgraded uh, yesterday to the new iOS. I've had battery issues on the iPhone 4. Um, so much to the point where I disabled the time zone feature, which did improve it. However, today uh, on 5.0.1, I put the time zone feature back on. And by the end of the day, I have a couple phone calls, listening to music, you know, doing some email checking. I still had 79% of my battery left, which was <laughs> better than it's been. I can't remember when. So whatever Apple did, at least to my iPhone 4, um, that update uh, worked miracles. So yay, Apple, they certainly got that one right. And the upgrade to 5.0.1 was easy over the air. That was simple, worked perfectly on both the iPad and I, iPhone 4 without any problems. My daughter owns an iPhone 4S, also upgraded to 5.0.1, and she's telling me, although I'm not sure how accurate it is, that she doesn't think her battery life has improved at all. So 
Maybe it's a mixed bag. I don't know. But my experience, great upgrade and fix the battery problem. Thanks, Rob. Keep up all you do and the good work that you do. And take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob. This is Josh at Dad Street on Twitter. We actually met at Blog World, and it was a pleasure meeting you. I'm calling because I just updated uh, my iPhone 4S to the new 5.0.1 update that Apple just put out um, about an hour ago, I guess. And uh, just calling to report that the update went really nicely. I love, love, love the fact that I can update my phone now without having to wait to get back home and um, attach a cable and plug it into the computer and all that other jazz. So I was actually out at lunch today and um, had a Wi-Fi connection at the restaurant I was at. I was able to download the update. It's a, I believe it's about 55 megabytes, and um, it took about five minutes, give or take, to download. I'm guessing, obviously, that depends on your Wi-Fi connection. It will not work over 3G, so you have to have a Wi-Fi connection. Um, but once it downloaded, it told you that the um, phone was going to restart in nine seconds, and uh, it did a quick uh, verification of the update before the phone restarted. And for me, as soon as I got, uh, as soon as the phone restarted itself, I actually walked away from the restaurant. I was no longer in Wi-Fi, um, and then the phone restarted as it normally does uh, when you do an update, and it gets that black screen with the Apple logo and that bar going across, um, and then the the phone uh, starts back up normally as it, as it does. So. All in all, it was a really quick and um, painless update. It went really well. Uh, like I said, you need Wi-Fi, but you only need Wi-Fi long enough to actually download the update. When the phone restarts, you actually don't need to be within Wi-Fi range, um, and the phone will uh, will update accordingly. So there it is. Thanks again, and talk to you guys soon. Take care. Josh, Dave, Steve, and Josh, thanks for your feedback. Okay, time to speculate a little about the next iPad and iPhone and when they might get LTE capability. My feeling has been the next iPad will not be announced until WWDC in June of 2012, with availability probably in the typical two to three weeks later time frame. Just in time for back to school, by the way. LTE being a feature for the next iPad would really depend on two things, the big three carriers in the U.S. and their LTE deployment, and the state of chips for LTE. For the former, it's looking like mid-2012 we'll see much better coverage for Verizon um, than they were a couple of months ago, and for AT&T it'll be better, but not great. Sprint stated it would deploy its first LTE markets by mid-2012. But, and I say but, this is probably not as important a factor as it once was because of a chip that was just announced by Qualcomm, which is the Gobi 4000 platform for 4G LTE connectivity. Here is the big part in Qualcomm's announcement on these chips, and the part that got me excited. Quote, Qualcomm's latest Gobi enhanced 4G platform features the Gobi Application Programming Interface API with LTE extensions and is compatible with leading connectivity standards including CDMA 2000, 1X EVDDO, RevA, NB, HSPA+, Dual Carry HSPA+, and LTE with integrated backwards compatibility to HSPA and EVDO. Unquote. Okay, I know you are probably all excited now too. All right, maybe not. But 
What that said in a nutshell is in a single chip, it offers LTE connectivity. And when LTE is not there, it works with 3G for AT&T, Verizon, and Sprint. So with a single chip, you have an LTE 3G chip that can work on both GSM and CDMA networks in the U.S. and the world. That is what Apple was waiting for when um, they said previously that the chips for LTE were not there yet. The only real question would be power consumption of these chips versus the current Qualcomm world chips used by Apple now. But again, with this chipset now available, it becomes technically possible for Apple to offer up an LTE device that drops back to 3G when LTE is not available. Usually chips available to full production, eh, it's about six months. So if they're announcing it now, so you're looking at six months for full production. Uh, I don't see March as a likely date for the third generation iPad with LTE. But June, June, that makes a lot of sense time-wise. Okay, it's that part of the show where I bash Google. Well, Android, actually. Well, to start Android, then Google. Juniper Networks put out a post this last week that talked about Android leading the way in malware and security issues. While this is no big surprise or hardly even close to the first time we have reported on a post like this, it is really interesting to see how much malware, and which was already a big issue on Android, how much it has grown since July. And that is 472%. Ouch! That's a huge jump. And it's getting worse. October and November have seen the fastest increase in Android malware since Google released Android, which part about open again is better just trying to figure that out juniper does squarely place the blame for malware increase on google shoulders or backside as i guess it is hard to place anything on someone's shoulders when their head is buried in the sand juniper also says it is not just about quantity increases in malware for android they are also seeing increases in quality of said malware in the spring, they started to see malware apps capable of getting to the root of an Android device, allowing that app to then install even more code to gain an even deeper access to key data, info, and services of those Android devices. And now Juniper is seeing most malware with this ability. Of the sample they looked at, 55% acted as spyware collecting user info. Another 44% of malware apps are considered SMS Trojans, which send SMS messages to premium rate phones, thereby charging up bills for users, which is usually not recoverable. Yeah, baby, open is better. Open is better. Just keep saying that over and over and over. Okay, and I have another beef to report on the Google Android side. And this one has to do with the fact there are no people devs can actually contact at Google. Okay, here is what was conveyed to me from a dev. They are developing apps for many organizations, uh, one of which is the Vatican, and they also have some known celebrities. In the Google Android Marketplace, they have had a reported content issue with another one of their apps, which was completely not a valid complaint, as explained to me. Uh, Google yanked their dev account and pulled down all their apps. This, this was a few weeks ago. Um, how much response has Google given them? Zero. None. Nada. Zip. 
Google Android Marketplace is all run by bots, no pun intended. So herein lies a big issue on Android. One, there is no one really assigned to police things. And two, there is no relationship with developers when they few people that do decide to police things do develop, uh, actually do police them. Over on the iOS side, devs know Steve and Mary and, and many others on Amazon, App Store, there's Winky or whomever the dev got assigned to them. Bill's over at Vcast. And, and the point is, Google has created a wild, wild west environment, except there are no judges or marshals, just an automated executioner. So my point, and I, I think I really have one here, so this is what it is. On the iOS side, it is much nicer for the end user, knowing apps are screened. And two, for the devs, as there are actual people to talk to. Even if some devs are frustrated about decisions or restrictions, at least Apple gives you someone to be frustrated with. Nielsen was out with one of those surveys where they ask people what items they are interested in buying or getting as a gift in the next six months. In the survey, those questions could pick multiple items, so percentages add up to way over 100%. Per the results, for those 6 to 12 years old, number one by a long shot was the iPad. At a whopping 44% of those surveyed, uh, they ages 6 to 12 U.S. kids, wanted an iPad, versus 30% that wanted an iPod Touch, and 27% that wanted an iPhone. Yes, that's right, for kids... U.S. kids, 6 to 12, the top three spots all start with a small I and a capital P. Rounding out the top five, well, actually it was a three-way tie for number four. You had computer and tablet, not iPad, and then Nintendo 3DS, all at 25%. So for any parent that does get their kid an iPad for Christmas this year, you are the parent. And for any parent that actually gets their kids the Amazon Fire, just to let you know, you are that parent. Or put another way, remember when you asked for a G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip and instead you got an Action Jackson? Yeah, that's how the Android Fire feels for kids. Google's iOS app for Gmail is back in the App Store, updated actually. It was in the App Store back in early November, but the app was so bad and broke so many things, Google had it pulled. You might ask how such a bad and broken app made it past Apple's reviewers, and you would not be alone. I personally like the rumor or theory that Apple knew it sucked, but approved it anyway to let the rest of the world see how bad a job Google did on creating that iOS app. Mind you, it is just a rumor, and never blame on malice that which can easily be explained by incompetence. But in this case, believing in malice is so much more fun. Well, anyway... Google engineers went back to work on the app, and actually back to work is a misnomer. I should say Google engineers actually did some work and fixed the iOS Gmail app, or so that they say, and the new version was released yesterday, and so far, the response and feedback on the new version is eh. and many users remain critical of the app. I think Lance Whitney at CNET summed it up best when he said, quote, In general, though, users seem critical because the app still seems unnecessary. Gmail iOS users can already fully access and manage their email on the go using the mobile 
site or by setting up an account through iOS Mail, Contacts, and Calendars feature on their mobile device, unquote. Which was a nice summary of what I thought when I read about this app originally. Just much more concise than I would have ever been with it. Nice job there, Whitney. And finally in the news, there are some audio files out there of this, well, let's be nice and call him sobriety-impaired, intelligent-deficient person who somehow seems to have gotten his iPhone into emergency mode, where all you can do is dial 911. Most likely this happened when he forgot his passcode, which is likely 6969. Well, being that all he could do is dial 911, which is just for emergency, and clearly not being able to dial anything other than 911 in his mind constitutes an emergency, he did what I am actually surprised we have not heard about other people doing, and that is he dialed 911 five times. I would love to play his audio clips, but since they are F-bomb filled, I'll skip the audio playback. Plus, all five calls to 911 totaled about 10 minutes, and it's not it's funny at beginning. Anyway, the person in question proceeds to complain that his iPhone is broken and threatens the 911 operator that he's going to smash it. I think my favorite quote from said person was when one of the 911 emergency operators asks him if he has been drinking tonight, to which he replies, quote, no, I'm just not very smart, unquote. Classic. Now, the only reason there are only five calls and not six or seven or eight is that after the fifth call, police finally made their way to where the person was and arrested him. And on that story, I think it's time we wrap it up for this show. I want to remind you, today's sponsor is Hover. Go to tii.hover.com, tii.hover.com. And right now you can get .me domain names for $9 after the 10% discount. So again, tia.hover.com you can go get yourself some $9.me domains as always anything we talked about in today's show you can find links to over at todayinios.com if you have any questions comments tips tricks feedback whatever give us a call 206-666-6364 that's 206 moondog or record it on your ios device and email to me at todayinios at gmail.com as always if you'd like to support the show the best way is to become a vip member go to Today in iOS.com forward slash VIP. That's today in iOS.com forward slash VIP. And that is going to do it for us today on this show. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today in iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for TII.